have every confidence in you, Kathleen. Oh, good. That makes one of us. This is uh, another episode of Trade Waiters. Yep, we did uh, it yet again. We made it back. Back at it again. <laughs> We're here. Oh boy. With a, a another substitution. Oh yeah, I guess we have uh, one person. One good person is gone, and oh. a kind of unfortunate individual has taken their place. <laughs> the albatross around your neck, otherwise known as Spare Monster. <laughs> should we should we tell our listeners what we're reviewing and who's here? Yeah, if we must. Um, sorry, I'm really tired. Uh, but it's good. That's a good way to lead into book reviews. So this time we read The Essential Dykes to Watch Out For by Alison Bechdel. Um, and I'm Kathleen Gross. And I'm Jeff Ellis. I'm Angela Mellick. And I'm Spay, our monster. Welcome, Spay. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> um, should we do character revealing question before we get into the nitty-gritty? I, I think so. Talking about our character revealing question this episode is, what is your favorite fictional universe? Oh. All right. So I I got a heads up on this question, so I have an answer ready. So Excellent. I'm going to jump in. Um, and my... Most recent, I have a recent favorite universe, which is uh, an alternate Marvel Comics universe. And uh, I knew you were going to roll your eyes, but that's okay. Um, It's the Spider-Gwen universe, because this is a universe where uh, Radioactive Spider bit Gwen Stacy and not Peter Parker. So she became Spider-Woman. But it happened in the, like, 20th century. And so now she splits her time between her all-girl punk rock band and being... Spider-Woman, and pretty much every other character in this universe has been kind of turned on its ear. So there's like a female black Captain America, and like Felicia Hardy the black cat is like a French jewel thief who is in a rival band and also is the black cat. It's just every every character is a little bit unexpected, and I just really enjoy that as like an alternative universe in fiction. Cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to go back to a discussion we were having earlier, and actually I think my favorite universe is the Star Trek universe. The broader Star Trek universe, which has been very near and dear to my heart throughout my entire childhood and continues to be fun. It's been mapped, like literally mapped and explored, and every planet in the universe has its own little dictionary and a list of history, and people people speak Klingon. Did you know that more people speak Klingon than Icelandic? That's nuts. That's, that's true. That's, that says something about our, our society, I think. It's great. <laughs> it's great. And that's why I love Star Trek, and I am so pumped about the new TV series coming out. I hope it doesn't suck. Oh, <laughs> I'm so excited for that series. Uh, Brian Fuller. I don't know. Uh, what does that mean? Hannibal. Oh, okay. I haven't watched Hannibal. Okay, but same showrunner. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Don't screw it up. <laughs> he has Star Trek experience. Okay. At Brian Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> We're trusting you. <laughs> um, I think mine is probably Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea universe because it's 
big and calm and quiet and scary. And I love what she does with size and scope and depth and people whose lives are centered on the ocean. I'm just really very predictable about this. I don't, I don't even, I'm just like, oh, there's boats, so I like it. <laughs> I would say that um, I kind of, this is maybe bad because it's my question, but I have a three-way tie. Uh, I know I'm the worst. Get out. Well, because one of them's like super popular. Can we brush yeah. time before it or what? Um, <laughs> well, I like. I'm very, very fond of the Harry Potter universe because it's just really fun. And then I also really like um, the Finder universe from by Carla Speed McNeil, mm. like that series of comics because there's so many unanswered questions in it, and I think it explores some interesting things. And then I also really like the Thieves and Kings universe. Um, the what the Thieves, Thieves and Kings? It's like a Okay, it's this Canadian comic that I've never met another cartoonist to. It's Red it, by Mark Oakley. It's like this epic fantasy story set in a cool fantasy world. But yeah, I've never met another cartoonist who has read it, and it's a Canadian comic. Is yeah. it real? Is it a real thing? Yeah, it's <laughs> a real thing! No! Well, you see, if you rearrange the letters, <laughs> it spells Kathleen Cross! <laughs> this is just your pseudonym and you're shilling yourself. <laughs> I wish I worked under a pseudonym. <laughs> I have a follow-up question. Yes. Fantastic Beasts and where to find them? Are you pumped or are you dreading it? Oh, I'm don't really I'm not really that interested in it. Like oh, I but it's part of the verse. Well, okay, I really like Harry Potter, but like I like it in the way that I engage with it. I'm not super interested in the ways that other people engage with it. Um, which sounds really obnoxious, but like I'm just not not that into the other stuff. I just like how it is in my head. <laughs> what about the cursed child? Do you think the plot's a troll? I think the plot's a troll. It's a conspiracy theory. I hope so. I think J.K. Rowling is trolling like, everyone. Do you think Neville Longbottom could have done it in four books? <sighs> All right. So the book that we read today. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't give, go down the uh, Harry Dogs Potter. Well, rolls. okay. I don't think he could have done it in four books because oh. I don't think he's that competent. Oh, what? He's hot Holy. though. That doesn't. Mean that he's competent. I mean, I'm gorgeous and I'm a mess. Stay, don't leave the room. You have to finish this podcast. <laughs> I love talking about Harry Potter and other books I've read. <laughs> so, moving on to Dice okay. <laughs> Maybe we should move on to the actual book we came here to discuss. Sure. Okay, so um, should I start with like a bio, a little bio on Alison Bechdel for some context? Yeah. Where did this all come from? Okay, so Alison Bechdel is an American cartoonist. Um, she's currently probably best known for Funhouse, a tragicomic. And I was trying to find, like, um, stuff on her outside of that. Like, just, just looking for interviews and stuff. It was all, like, fun home press. Which is, like, valid, because that was a big book. But, yeah, it's a graphic novel about, like, her father's death and, um sort of, like, her own coming of age and, like, discovering her sexuality as she just, and also, like, parallels that with, like, discovering that her father um, has had, like, gay relationships in the past. And somehow that book got made into a Tony Award-winning musical. Um, <laughs> the topsy-turvy world. Yeah! <laughs> well, I mean, you read that book and you don't go, you know what? <laughs> I think if everyone was singing. <laughs> but, uh... I'm actually very curious to see the musical. Um, she's also, um, probably folks at least know her name from the Bechdel test, uh, which is, like, a pretty colloquial and, like, well-known, um, test about, like, uh, female representation in movies, which actually came out of Dykes to Watch Out For. 
She is, was the one of the 2014 um, recipients of the MacArthur Genius Grant, and she has another graphic memoir that followed up um, after Funhouse called Are You My Mother? And she won a Lambda for Excellence in Literature in 2014. Um, <laughs> yes, we know you won a Lambda, too. Um, oh, and Time Named Fun Home, a number one on a list of ten best books in 2006. Also, oh, I'm sorry, I wrote this down really stupid. It's just a bullet point that says, does karate with three question marks beside it? Because I don't know if anyone else watched interviews with her, but, like, yeah, I guess she's really into martial arts. And, like, there's one interview that starts, like, so, you do karate. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's why we're here, to discuss yes. my karate. Yeah. <laughs> I just assume that because Mo does karate, clearly Allison does karate. <laughs> That's true. That was a very fleeting thing in, in uh, Dexter's Oh, Chapter, man. Though. I definitely forgot about that. Um, I but was, yeah. I was rereading some of the earlier pages on the bus ride here. Oh, yeah. good, good. I was uh, reading the final pages uh, <laughs> about an hour ago in a coffee shop. <laughs> They're very fresh now. Um, yes, 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 yes. So, um, the book we're reading today, Dykes to Watch Out For, is a collection of serialized strips that sort of revolve around a community of lesbians in an American city between the early 80s and the um, late oddies. It's sort of somewhere between like a gay soap opera and like political commentary, kind of. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, guess, I guess this episode will take us to about the late 80s. Yeah, we're going to talk about part of it, and then there's going to be another episode where we talk about another part of it. So this is good listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that stood out to me reading it was... Uh, I was just keeping track of time based on who the president was because yeah. it starts with the Reagan years and then it goes all the way through till Obama's winning the Democratic yeah. no- nomination. He doesn't actually win the election with Yeah, him. but you know he's going to be the Democratic candidate at the end of the story. So I, t- I was sort of keeping track of things based on that. So I sort of feel like we're going to probably cover two presidents yeah. and then another and two the presidents. President. So to the end of... Uh, <laughs> Bush Senior. Yeah, the end of Bush Senior. <laughs> I I was really um, interested in reading this book because I really enjoyed Fun Home quite a bit. Um, I will also say, though, that I tried reading Are You My Mother, which is her follow-up to uh, Fun Home, and I couldn't finish that. It's impenetrable. Yeah, I don't that, know. Was, that was... I think un- maybe I'm not smart enough to read that book. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to... Well, I don't know about that. I would just say unreadable is my, like, one-word <laughs> oh, review no. of Are You My Mother? I would then say, like, Fun Home is, like, gripping. Couldn't put it down. Totally great. Hmm. Uh, so they're very high contrast. So I was really interested to see her early work, and um, it was really interesting seeing just her early drawings, because I think she's really come together as an artist. In um, You can see her style coming together in the course of this book. But I think particularly in Fun Home, she really sharpened up her drawing style. And uh, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I liked the structure of it. And uh, I, reading her intro, I feel like she really accomplished what she was describing in the, in the intro. Which, uh, I, does anyone else want to jump in or I can keep going? <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Uh, I don't, I I don't want to feel like I'm dominating the conversation yeah, here. But, no, um, no, we'll cut you off. Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just like... In her introduction, she just sort of uh, describes this idea of presenting lesbians to the public in a way that's just sort of letting them understand who these people are and making them people and sort of dispelling the the stereotypes and the myths and like just sort of making 
lesbians relatable. And I think that that absolutely succeeded in this, in this work. And, um, you know, it, it, it seems like something that would be really good for straight cis people like me to read. So you can kind of just like get exposed to different perspectives and different lifestyles. Um, and I also just would say as a cartoonist, um, I do a book called Teaching English in Japan about being an English teacher. And my idea is to sort of present that lifestyle in the comic. And if I had read Dykes Watch Out For, I think I would have structured that comic more like she structured this. Hmm. Because every page is its own kind of self-contained episode. And as you read all of them, it kind of builds up to a greater like tapestry of these, these people's lives. And yeah, if I had to do it over again, I think I would change my approach because teaching us in Japan will kind of leave you hanging kind of in between pages. Like you kind of need to read three or four pages in a row to get the whole sequence. And I think I would have more structured it like this if I if I could start today. Yeah. Um, I really thought this was well well structured. Yeah, it's really interesting because this was serialized in a newspaper. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, various different publications and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I really <clears throat> did get the impression that this was uh, again having no prior exposure to Alison Bechdel's work. So this was my very first exposure. Something that I've been really excited to to access and it's like oh finally I get the chance to read some Bechtel that I've heard so much about you know the genius grants and everything I've I'd been feeling more and more guilt about not having read it you know in, in my repertoire of just general comic knowledge uh, and I would agree with Jeff that I think it did achieve that offering the reader a window into a culture and a time even that not everyone has had access to so having this group of people presented, they're very, not only being within this lesbian community, but being very left, and how, you know, the controversies of the left throughout the years, and how that evolved and affected the people within that community, I found really interesting. Uh, especially in terms of what the controversial things were within that community at these different times. So, obviously, the discourse on lesbianism versus greater society, the gay marriage debate, and broader issues of gender have evolved over time. And seeing how it was, you know, you see sticking points in there where it's like, well, oh, I, I don't know if I would agree with what you said right there, but it's something that's been evolving and having it kind of preserved in amber uh, gives you a way in that otherwise, if it wasn't chronicled in this way, you wouldn't have access to. It would be totally invisible for someone like us coming from the, the culture and time and Absolutely. A portion of society yeah. that we were raised in. One, one of the notes I wrote to myself was, like, some of this seems tame compared to the kinds of discussions that we have today. Mm. Uh, like, it's just a lot of this... In, in a sense, I mean, like, like, they are talking about how it's so controversial to be a lesbian or to be a lesbian who's pur purporting, like, um, gay marriage. But to me, it's like, oh, well, that's just... Like, everyone does that now. Like, that's not <laughs> super revolutionary, is it? But, like, in the Reagan years, that was hugely, hugely, yeah. like, revolutionary. Yeah, and actually seeing that fight was really interesting to me. You know, this community where their lives revolved around protests and marches, which was something that was really foreign and interesting to me. It's like, I've never actually attended a march. It's never been a social event for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, we're going to this march and that march and organizing it and getting on the bus and going and doing it and being reinvigorated and going into these conferences and meeting people there. Yeah. It was really foundational in their lives and how much they had to work to create the society where we can have this level of discourse. Yeah, I mean, uh, something that really uh, stood out to me was um, when 
I'm just blanking on character names, but when the two characters originally get married, um, Mo is really looking down on them for this, and she her whole stance is like, you're being like them. You're being a normal. You're going to like get married and adopt a child and move into suburbia, and you're selling out. And that being a lesbian is about not following society structures and being a, like in this kind of anarcho system. And I just found that really interesting because I think from my limited, like my very sheltered perspective, I just always looked at the gay marriage issue as like, well, obviously they want to be able to do all the things I can do. Like they want to be like me, right? And so to have this other voice that's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you and how you are. I want to be doing my own thing that's totally other. I was like really fascinated with this perspective that this idea that gay marriage was just sort of like, normalizing and that that was seen as bad that you wanted to sort of not be just homogenized inside of the society you wanted to change what society was you know i found that really fascinating yeah it was interesting <laughs> okay um yeah i like hadn't read this entire book before i suggested it i'd read like some because uh, there are smaller collections um, that sort of cover specific story arcs so i'd read the story arc where um clarice and tony have a kid um, before, like, years ago, um, back in university, and I just thought it would be interesting to read the whole thing, because I'm kind of a sucker for, like, really extensive, complete, like, character universes, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I really, like, I'm gonna sidetrack to, like, Degrassi just as an example, where, like, you see, you see these characters, like, uh, going from, like, children to adults like in real time over the course of like 30 or whatever years like because there are kids from the original Degrassi that wound up that still are adults on the show to this day yeah one of the one of the (laughs) teens in um Degrassi Junior High has a baby who then becomes a teenager on the show later yes it's so good anyways so like I'm really drawn to things like that so that was kind of interesting through Dykes to watch out for to see like these characters go from these, like, babies to, like, um, you know, like, suburban moms, kind of, depending on the character, and, like, see how their life, lives evolved, and, like, I would kind of, because it's very dense work, like, I'd forget that things happen, like, there's a point where, um, I think Tony brings up that Ginger and Clarice had, like, an affair 20 years ago, and I was like, wait, did that happen? And I had to flip back, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I love... I have um, the exact same note. Yeah. I, I like, find it really interesting when storylines, like, twist and turn like that, and you see a really long progression over, like, personal narratives and stuff. Just because of the type of person I am, like, I found this a bit of a, a, a difficult um, read because I'm not very politically inclined, necessarily. So there's, like, a, and also a lot of this is written before I was born. So, like, there's a lot of stuff where I'm, like, I just don't it's from have... It's Kathleen. Yeah, I don't... I, <laughs> time man um but like it's like political references that i'm like vaguely aware of but don't really have context for so a lot of it was sort of like okay i'm gonna kind of skim this a bit and maybe get to where there's the like interpersonal character drama which is what was interesting to me and i mean it does seem like a lot of it is like uh it's kind of a portrait of a time there are certainly things in this book that felt like punches to the gut because of the way they were worded and the i don't know if certain things necessarily resolved in a way that was, like, okay in the end. I don't know. It seemed like Bechdel was trying, but I don't know. Some stuff just was like, oh, oh, that hurts. That hurts a bit. Like, there's, like, biphobia and, like, some trans stuff that's, like, kind of gross. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it ever, like, 
hmm. got to a point where I was like, yeah, this is okay. Uh, it did not feel a sense of closure from this work. It did just feel like it kind of stopped. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, partway through reading this, I was kind of expecting to just turn a page and have them discussing, like, Trump becoming nominee for the Republican Party. That's how deep I thought this was going to go. And to have it just cut off before Obama became president, it was I, I was just like, what? And that's it? There isn't, like, another volume? But anyway, sorry, uh, Sve. No, I found it, so I had intense issues with this book to the degree that I'm going to just come out and say I didn't like it. However, that be, I found, like, there were, there were moments where... And I was trying to be very um, objective about it. And as I was reading it, I was looking at the dates of, the, of when certain strips came out or whatever and being like, well, you know, that was 20 years ago. You know, these were new concepts. You know, people had to learn and adjust. And it's kind of what Jeff was saying. Like, some of the, the, the things that they were really butting their heads up against, like the idea of normalizing, and I'm making air quotes, uh, uh, same-sex marriage or having someone who you were growing up and friends with, uh, um, Sparrow? who was a lesbian, but then she fell in love with a man, and so she kind of came out as bi, and everyone was having issues with this. And, mm-hmm. and so these are very normal concepts in our day-to-day life in 2016. Mm-hmm. But I could understand that at the time that they were very um, new, and there was issues to come, like, you know, everybody learns at different paces and stuff like that. So I was trying to be very, very, very objective about it and, and, and let it be what it was. However, there were moments, there, there was just like some stuff that happened that I kind of find personally unforgivable. That being said, as someone very much in the queer LGBT community, being able to read, like as you were saying, something that's preserved in amber and tells our history of, of some of the very formative kind of Stonewall-esque time frames of learning how to come out and the gay marriage issue, same-sex marriage, and just those kind of stumbling, stepping stones, and even coming into trans identities and um, genderqueer identities and stuff like that, it was very interesting. But the way she handles some of it, it's just like, woof, oh man. (laughs) Oh geez. (laughs) (laughs) There are definitely certain lines. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to recall one specifically. There was one where Mo was running a, uh, she was running a talk at the bookstore. Yeah, that's the one. That's yep, the one yep, that yep, definitely yep. stood out for me. It's like, oh, yikes, okay. See, <laughs> and it felt break. like, I don't know, it was if like... find the line, it'd be good I, to read it out. Oh, I know. It felt I, like it never fully got, like, resolved in any way. Mm-hmm. It just sort of, like, skipped ahead, and it wasn't right. like, hey, let's actually discuss right, how right, this right. is, like, a thing, and maybe try and work through it in a way. I guess, I, like, I don't know. Like, I'm glad that this book exists, because it is definitely, like, very interesting, and I don't think there's anything quite like it out there, but I wish there was, there were more things, you know, (laughs) like this out there, so we couldn't, wouldn't have to be like, this is the one lesbian experience. Right. It's kind of, like, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It goes to speaking to how important it is to have multiple voices from a various group, you know, out there and producing work. Comics are for everyone and should be produced by a diversity of voices so that, you know, this work achieves what it's set out to achieve, however it has some shortfalls, it'd be great to we have contrasting viewpoints from the mm-hmm. same period of time. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say, again, and I mean, like, I have a very, like, limited perspective, I think, but um, when I was, that specific moment you guys are citing with the, um, the lesbian book reading and there's, like, a trans woman and Mo doesn't feel like they should be there because they're a man pretending to be a woman, where this is just for women, I really, I mean, I, I definitely felt uh, that sort of sense of, of surprise. But then, again, I looked at the date and I thought, wow, like, this is probably... This is from a time period where in mainstream society, 
trans would just be like the punchline of a joke, and it would be just awful. Uh, and and it was interesting to see that even within the what what to me now I always think of as the LGBT community, there was not an LGBT community. There was like an L community mm. that was grappling with the existence of you know other other groups and trying to like figure it figure its own way out you know um so i i just sort of looked at this as like the formative years of lgbt where you even saw in those earlier strips you even see there's like a rift between like gay and lesbian where a lot of the lesbians are like oh gay men like they can just put on a suit and fit in like they don't understand the real struggle of being a woman and being a lesbian like they've got it easy right so it was just interesting to see that there was so much fracturing and so many people pulling in different directions. And I actually kind of find it heartening that we are now at a point in 2016 where so many people have been able to kind of pull together and form a little more of a cohesive, you know... I mean, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I found one of the most depressing parts of the book is that some of the stuff, the very basic representational and identify and, mm. and getting along with one another for ident- validating each other's identities that they were really grappling with are the exact same conversations that are happening in mm. my community and, like, the people that I hang out with right, right now. Yeah. So I was like, oh, like, there's comic strips here that are older than I am. Right. That... They're acting like this is this is happening. Like you know, it's still happening right. today. Yeah. And so perhaps yeah, here in Canada, we can take gay marriage as a given now. However, mm-hmm. there's we still suffer by erasure. We still suffer yeah. trans inclusion. We yeah. still suffer like oh a, and a yeah, lot sorry, of this I, fracturing. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't want you guys. Yeah, I, I there's a long way to go still, <laughs> but I I just sort of found it interesting to see how what things were like that long ago, and I feel like there is progress. But I I totally hear what you're saying because I I would say for all the election stuff, all the political stuff all the woes about the democratic process in America. I was reading these while all this stuff was happening with Donald Trump and going like, oh my God, like every anxiety and issue that these people are experiencing with what got George Bush Jr. into office, they're experiencing that and it's happening again. Like yeah. all of those same conversations are playing out. Like we really need to change the electoral college. What's yeah. with these superdelegates? We really need to. Yeah. Like... It's funny. The same thing happened to me. It made me feel a little bit better. It's like, oh wow, it was just as terrifying, you know, eight twelve well, years ago. And, so. and see, I found it like a double-edged sword because, I, in one sense, I found it depressing that the same things are going on. But it also, I felt better in knowing that. Well, everyone thought George Bush Jr. was going to kill everyone and the world was going to end, and now we're twenty years later. So maybe when everyone's got it's these anxieties that Donald Trump is going to destroy <laughs> everyone, maybe maybe it won't be as bad. Maybe it'll like maybe twenty years later, people go like, oh, we all thought. Trump was going to be the worst, but he was just kind of a joke, just like George Bush Jr. It was, eh. We survived. We managed somehow, you know. We survived Reagan. We survived Bush. We'll survive Trump, you know. (laughs) R.I.P. Nurse is a hell of a thing. (laughs) Did you find the passage? Oh, yeah. I actually had it. Like, bookmark and fold down, and I was, like, looking through, because I was like, that can't be it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, like, Lois and Mo are talking about. Um, so, what, what page is it on? Oh, it's 125 um, in the Essential Dykes to Watch Out for. Do, should we read it out, or? Uh, I feel like it's relevant. Yeah, yeah, sure. Discussion. So, yeah, Mo's like, oh, geez, here's a submission for a mad woman read from someone named Jillian who identifies as a transsexual lesbian. And uh, Lois is like, cool. 
Mosaic. Uh, the cover letter says, I hope you'll consider changing the name of your reading series for local lesbian writers to be inclusive of transgender and bisexual women writers, too. Oh, man. And Lois says, guess it's time to get with the program, huh? And Mo says, what am I supposed to do? Have bi women and drag queens come in here and read about stuffing their boyfriends? And Lois says, uh, why not? I'm sure they'd have a unique perspective on the topic. And Mo says, Lois, I'm still trying to adjust to lesbians using dildos. What am I supposed to make of a man who became a woman who's attracted to women? And Lois says, love is a many-gendered thing, pal. Get used to it. While brushing Mo with a feather duster. And Mo says, well, fine, let people do what they want, but I'm not going to add this unwieldy bisexual and transgender business to the name of my reading series. I don't even know what transgender means. And Lois says, it's a sort of, it's sort of an evolving concept. I mean, we haven't had any language for people you can't neatly peg as either a boy or a girl. Like cross-dressers, transsexuals, people who live as the opposite sex but don't have surgery, drag queens and kings, and all kinds of other transgressive folks. Transgender is a way to unite everyone into a group, even though all these people might not self-identify as transgender. In fact, the point is that we're not... Sorry, the point is that we're all just ourselves and not categories. Instead of two rigid genders, there's an infinite sexual continuum. Cool, huh? Yeah. So that is from 1994. Which yeah. is like, there's, an, there's this concept within uh, the trans community, which is called a TERF, <coughs> T-E-R-F, which is a trans-exclusive radical feminist, which... I, I don't know if Alison Bechtel, I don't think she is, but it's definitely, that's the sentiment that this embodies, that, you know, like, we're all radical feminists to a point, but when you start bringing your trans stuff in here, then it can't, mm. can't come in. And that's what definitely this is. And then, like, she had, the problem that I had is, like, I don't have a problem with this comic by itself in or outside of the context. The problem that I have is that because Mo is the protagonist, and Mo is pr pretty much a self-insert for Alison Bechdel. It's like, when she espouses something, that's what Alison Bechdel was espousing. And so for her to say that in 1994 is like, okay, that's fine. But then I kind of do feel that you have to go back later on. And she does kind of... In the next strip, like, there's, like, a little bit of a follow-up where you, you can see Mo thanking Jillian for, um, like, giving a, a reading at, at the thing. But there's not, like anything more than that within that specific context yeah. like there's no like oh you know what i was uh maybe a little misguided and i did need to learn and i'm glad i like stepped which i know that that sounds which, like, like very much like ally 101 sort of stuff but sometimes when you're when you're dealing with stuff like this which is so intensely invalidating someone's identity and so intensely also triggering in the language that you're using and stuff mm -hmm. like that as the author to go back because at the beginning, like, she does acknowledge in her little, um, what's it called? The, oh, the... The cartoonist introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she acknowledges that she's creating a flawed work and that she's going back and it's awkward to reflect on the earlier strips mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then if you're acknowledging that you're kind of creating an organic, evolving work, I do feel like you have the power to go then in 15 years later and be like, that shit I said in 1994 was messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe this would be better if it had more, like, footnotes added? Or annotations. Or, like, or, I don't or know. even the characters course correcting within themselves. Because yeah. that's what I felt the problem was, is that Mo does stuff that's, you're like, buddy, holy smoke, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just kind of gets to continue foraging on. And people will kind of be, 
to the side being like, all that mo. <laughs> what true. are we gonna do? It's See, true. yeah, and it's hard her being the central character mm-hmm. as the avatar because She's... as you as you read this, it does feel a little bit as if Mo is playing the de- not the devil within her character. She's not, but yeah. within the context of the strip, a bit of a devil's advocate. Yeah, but yeah. it's still it is still hard having her as the protagonist and the quote unquote mouthpiece of the work because you do feel like at the end of the day, you're supposed to agree with Mo because mm. in like. Just back to the idea of like inserting something later on yeah. that maybe talks about it. Like in the um, like smaller collections of digs to watch out for, like uh, uh, Bechdel would sometimes add in like other um, scenes and stuff. Like because mm. the story arc that I read where um, Tony and Clarice have a baby, there's like a very extended like story that comes after the collected strips that's like about the birth process and like mm. sort of like the emotional involvement and like all of that so it is like an extra story like featured in there and like that could have been something yeah. that could happen and like it, it's excluded from this work yeah. but like yeah. there are like extra other stories and like that's okay. something that you could do yeah and, and, when going back and, and she does go back in later um when jasmine's daughter transitions is it jasmine yeah yes when her daughter transitions so she like <laughs> she does bring in another transgender character and Lois does kind of embrace a genderqueer identity without kind of getting into it. But then there's that whole side plot where, where Lois pretends to be trans to oh, do Oh, that Mo. was awful. Oh, it was so That was so, was so awful. <laughs> and there was never any real resolution. Like, no, again, thing, it was no just like, hey, I was tricking you, but we're not really going to go into why I was tricking you. We're just going to say, hey, I was tricking you. Wow, I duped you. And then that's the end <laughs> gotcha. of it. And I was just like, are you serious? Like, like that's are you such serious? a thing to I'm, do. Like, can I? I mean, I'm curious. I'd like to hear more from you guys on this, but like, I would say, like, I was actually going to mention, like, what did you think about Lois kind of challenging Mo? Because I sort of, I, I definitely, when I read the earlier works, uh, the earlier pages, I felt like, okay, so Mo's character has definitely got some transphobic issues, and then I appreciated the fact that it seemed like Lo kind of like started challenging Mo on that. And there was this kind of ongoing thing of, like, I'm going to keep poking at you until you really start to think about this and maybe change your opinions. And I, like, I agree. I think Mo is definitely Alison Bechdel's sort of stand-in, and and maybe this is reflecting Bechdel's uh, beliefs. But I also felt like Lo, for example, embodied that secondary voice. Like, it was almost like, I felt it was Bechdel having an argument with herself and, like, sort of poking at herself to sort of, not to just lock into one mindset and to have that counter voice. I don't know, maybe, like, that was my impression of it, was I sort of felt like that was her trying to sort of challenge her own views on things. I I super, I don't disagree. Um, The only thing that sticks out to me is that then, if that's the case, then Alison Bechdel made some interesting choices in Lois's character very early on, where Lois is kind of introduced as this, like, super sex-having, super promiscuous person that everyone's like, that Lois, you know? And so you're kind of introduced to Lois in this idea that she's lesser than, because of some of her moral choices or her lifestyle choices, she's not as mature or she's not as, as... Dedicated virtuous or something like, 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 like there, there was like a weird tone that Lois is introduced in so that even like and I understand like it runs for 20-30 years right like there's mm-hmm. a long carryover and Lois also does grow up and learn and change but it did for me reading it every time Lois did something I couldn't help but think back to when Lois is introduced and they're like just FYI <laughs> Lois has a lot of sex and that's wrong <laughs> like, yeah, it's really true. yeah right 
And even, you know, some of the points brought up in that particular strip, like, uh, lesbians using dildos as being a thing that was like, not okay, it's like, you can't use a phallus, okay? Yeah. Like, that's a really, that's, it's funny because that's a hard line of radical feminism that I didn't, hadn't even heard of. Oh, really? Oh, no, really? oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, well, Angela! <laughs> <laughs> I have, see, I'm learning so much. Uh, but, uh... So, again, like, she was the one bringing in a lot of these sex toys to this shop as well. So there's a lot of things that Mo comes down on as, like, against that Lois represents as the champion of. Yeah. Which, again, I, I think I agree with you that is presented in this hierarchy or this... Hmm. It, it does feel like a hierarchy. I definitely feel like at the top of the, the hierarchy is Mo. Hmm. And, like, even when Mo is wrong, Mo's right. And huh. then everyone kind of shuffles down underneath them. And, and like, it would be super... The things that would kind of stick into me the most is like when Mo goes to an office store, a supply store, and she wants to buy something, and you can see it's Alison Bechdel who's pissed off about an office supply store, and like because the background, all of the panels are just like boxes of envelopes, more envelopes than you're ever gonna need, and you can tell she's just <laughs> mad, like she's grouchy about office supply stores, and so she brings it in, and Mo's like, "This sucks too." <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I, um. I, I found that just generally the tone in the in the series here was that all of Moe's friends were always sort of like, oh man, like when's Moe going to get it together? And, you know, it's like all of the surrounding characters seem to, like you've got, you know, um, Tony and, ah, I'm so bad with names right now, but like, you know, the characters that get married and have kids and you have people like settling down and finding partners, people buying houses together. And in the midst of all that, there's Mo who's just constantly, like, can't just, can't find, like, a good partner. Even when she finds a partner, it's, like, Sydney who's this, like, just element of chaos who's, like, cheating on her all the time. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, like, I, like. <laughs> I, I, I like Sydney, but it's just, like, but I just felt, like, oh my um, God. but I just felt, like, the fact that, I don't think that Sydney was what Mo really wanted, but it was what Mo was settling for because Mo just was like too I don't know, too lazy to go try to find anything else. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I just but it, it was just like I yeah. Well there's a thing, like they have multiple times where like Mo will come to a cafe and go on a big tirade about the woes of the world and how pollution and GMOs are going to destroy everything and her friends are always just kind of rolling their eyes and like man she just needs to stop and smell the roses like she's just so miserable all the time and I felt like that was a lot of Bechdel again kind of giving voice to self-criticism and like maybe I think Mo is what Bechdel's really thinking but I feel like all the surrounding characters are like an echo coming back like she was writing these other voices to be like you know from the outside looking in you're kind of being an idiot like just relax the world's not going to end tomorrow kind of thing uh i don't know what you guys think of that but it's true mo is a struggle <laughs> mo disaster party hour insufferable <laughs> she's been insufferable <laughs> Like, really true. Like, like, I, I just think they made it clear that Mo is kind of insufferable. So yeah. then that's why I don't feel like Mo is the high. Like I, I didn't feel like Mo was my number one character to go to for like the end, the end all opinion. Like I found I was quite often just like looking at her, her friends and going like, no, I think your friends are right, Mo. You need to shut up and sit down. But her Maybe friends were like a hot mess too. That's yeah. like the thing that I found kind of depressing about the comic was just like. Could one person get their life together? <laughs> well, maybe that's that's part of the uh, the way that Mo is presented is kind of interesting. Is that I do think she is presented at the top of the hierarchy. But if you 
it's like taking all of those concepts to their logical extreme. It's like, well, if you are super radical feminist and very, very strong in your goals and tell everyone about them all the time and you're strictly vegetarian and you care a lot about the war and you attend every protest, actually, if you do all those things, no one wants to be around you. And so if you're presented as this kind of top of the hierarchy epitome of lesbianism and then it's like, whoa, okay, well, there's all these moderating viewpoints then. It's like maybe we can find a balance. So it's weird to think about it that way. It's strange. I'm not sure. <laughs> I did appreciate that there were a lot of different lesbians. I mean, <laughs> so that is one of the things about having a work so deeply steeped in one subculture is that you have, well, there were probably a cast of at least a dozen primary yeah. mm-hmm. different people to work for with all these little nuances of their lives that you were able to delve into and reflect upon. And I felt that was really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know, I, I remember like... Uh, when I started working on a, a story of my own, I was talking. I, I was going to write some lesbian characters, and I went to my friend who was a lesbian. I said, "This is I'm thinking about this story, but I don't know if I have it's it's my place to write a story like this." And she just said, "Like if you're going to do this, just write them as people. Like don't even make that an issue. Just write them like they're regular people, and it'll be fine." And I just that's something I was thinking about reading this. Is I mean. I think everyone here is just a person. Like, they're all kind of flawed because everyone's kind of flawed. Like, I mean, is there anyone who has their shit together, really? Like, I think that's... <laughs> I think everybody feels like they're a hot mess, and um, everyone sort of keeps it together to different degrees. But, I mean, I think reading this, like, I just found, like, on, like, a going beyond, like, the politics um, and, and the different... LGBT stuff, like, I just felt like, as a narrative of 20 years of people's lives, it felt very authentic. Like, people do just, like, like marriages end. Children rebel against their parents, like... Pets die. Yeah, pets yeah. die. Like Oh, man, when the cat died and the dog died, <laughs> the it was dog awful. Died. That was upsetting. I I there was no follow-up! I got upset about the well, cats like, in a big way. Well, the other cat is sad. They were like, we need to stay home because the second cat is sad. I felt yeah. that I, when the when the cat died, that was like really off brand for me because I got like a little bit upset about it, a lot of bit upset about it. And yeah, you're right. And then they were just like, "Oh, next panel," <laughs> <laughs> and the dog dying too. Hey, there was like this week, big lead up to the dog getting old, and they had to help her outside. And then she's like, Aww. "Oh, she's dead now." And yeah. I understand that we're kind of reading an abridged version of yeah. it, so maybe there was a dozen strips about how sad they were about the cat <laughs> being dead, but I don't think so. I- I think this might come back to, like, the, the structure that I talked about before. That maybe it's a good thing I didn't apply to teaching this in Japan, but I, I sort of felt like every page was its own self-contained episode, so I don't feel like Bechdel felt a need to revisit the ramifications of the previous page, that each page was sort of, we're moving forward to the next event in these people's lives. And there are references back to certain things when they're fairly traumatic events like people will say oh man it sure was rough when my dog died but they, i don't think bechdel felt the need to necessarily dwell on these things for like multiple pages i mean i guess that's fair because it was serialized over a period of time yeah so i'd be interested to know how often this was posted to me reading it two it weeks. felt like two weeks the thing that blew I was my going mind to say weekly yeah what I, if it... I, you would you would come to a cafe and pick up you know every no every two weeks i think is what she said in the introduction yeah, yeah. And, and this would be a full page in the in the paper. Yeah, right? the thing that blew my mind about it is because we'll get to the ending later, but like when it ended, I was like, now hang on a second. And so I went online to her website to get the rest of the comic, which doesn't exist, and I was looking at the archives, and it would be like for 2001, eight strips. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. 
So, like, there are over 500 comics, over, but it's, like, over 500 comics over the course of 30 years. So when you break it down, it's not moving that fast. It's moving slower than most webcomic speed, and webcomics are snails. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Snail updates, except for the dailies. It's still snailish. Yeah. <laughs> Comic rate 24 whole hours. I need media. Speed's <laughs> <laughs> moving fast. Get on the trolley. <laughs> Oh man, you, sorry, this is like a trivial sidebar, but you mentioned about buying the house earlier, yeah. and like, oh man, the stuff about housing was so depressing, because there's like an episode where Harriet and Mo are breaking up and they live together, and Mo's like, oh man, Harriet's leaving, guess we'll have to pay the whole rent, that sucks, and it's not like, <laughs> rather than like, this ruins my life. Like, yeah, like, I'm actually on the street, this is a good Yeah, like, I literally cannot afford rent in this city on my own, like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, whoops, or like, they're like, we want to buy a house. I guess we'll buy it together. It'll be fine. We live here for the like three decades. of us will buy a house. No big deal. It's not like, oh lord, I will never be able to yeah. afford a house in this city. I to, to be fair, this story is not set in Vancouver. Yeah, I know. I can still but be upset about still it. Still set in like Seattle. It, no, it's San Francisco. Which, if it was San Francisco well, okay. today, then yes, uh, there would be no way they could. Any of these people could buy a house. But back then, before the the tech boom, you, three people could buy a house in San Francisco. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just that scene where like Harriet was moving out, and I was like, "Guess I gotta pay the whole rent. It'll be fine. I <laughs> guess her, I won't save as much." On Mad Women's book <laughs> like, salary, I know. Bookstore salary. Oh. selling five books a day. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it hurts so much. <laughs> so, should we do about? Is it about forty-five minutes? And then we should yeah, yeah sure. Stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Where so. are we at right now? We're, we're at the 47-minute 40, mark. Oh, okay. So That's why I say maybe we should do a little break, yeah. and then we'll go into the next episode. Yeah, all right. Okay, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Good job, team. Um, we'll so probably need to do some editing again. We haven't again. discussed the art, yep. the ending, the politics, and other suggestions. Uh, we have at least four things to talk about in the next episode. Then. Well, uh, the, the, end of, the end of small bookstores. The death of books. <laughs> Man, and in the end, for all her whining and gursing, her characters bought an iPod in the end, so shut up, Alison Bechdel. <laughs> I can't bring a VCR into my house, and then they're like, oh, we're going to have an iPod. <laughs> Fuck you. That was supposed to be the last that word in the last episode, Spank. You should save that for the end of our next episode. In the end, they all bought iPods. All right. Okay. Um, so, we should, we should wrap it up, though? Yeah. Should we say who we are, what we do, and yeah. a shout-out? Yeah. Indie shout-out. Right. Would you like to start, Jeff? Sure. Right? I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca or teachenglishinjapan.ca. And my uh, indie shout-out, I'm actually going to shout-out an indie television show. Louis C.K. used all of his own money to make an entire 10-episode television show. He wrote it, directed it, produced it. There's no one else involved, and you can buy it for $30 from his website. It's called Horace and Pete, and just the sheer amazingness of like one person making a television show it's a pretty amazing independent art project so i would say horse and pete horse and pete all right cool i'm angela Mellick. you can find my work at wastedtalent.ca i'm so glad i get to do a shout out we haven't done one in a while yeah i'm going to shout out alice grove by jeff jacks uh it's his secondary comic uh he's best known for questionable content but actually, both Questionable Content and Alice Groves have been exploring some really interesting themes in science fiction and the singularity and artificial intelligence. And I think he's been doing fantastic work lately, and you should check it out. 
Uh, I'm Svear Monster, and you can find me at S-F-E-M-O-N-S-T-E-R, everywhere. Um, and my indie shout-out is for Tanika Stotts, who is about to crowdfund uh, the Elements Anthology, which is a Creators of Color anthology with a theme of fire. And it's going to go on Kickstarter on July 1st, so that's, it's going to be amazing. That's super exciting. I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find... I guess I'll do my... I have a new webcomic called Lunar Maladies, and you can find it at lunarmaladies.com. Um, and I actually haven't been reading that many comics lately because I've been trying to read real books. What does uh, that mean? Yeah, Gross. like the real ones, the valid books. Um, <laughs> you yeah. can't say that. <laughs> this comic's garbage. Like, what is this, for children? <laughs> Pictures and words for babies. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, well, okay, the real book I just read, I just finished reading the Southern Reach trilogy by, I think his name is Jeff Vandermeer, but it was a really, um, chilling and interesting science fiction trilogy that kept me guessing and, like, I was just, like, so enthralled by it, um, till the end. So that was, that was a good one. I would read that if you're into sci-fi and want something very, very different. See us, uh, next episode for part two of Dykes to Watch Out For. <laughs> And uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. <laughs> like us on Facebook. No. <laughs> the Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or tradewaiters.tumblr.com.